With the COVID-19 pandemic slowing down in Canada, I wanted to use I Don't Know Much as a way for all of us to learn about some new topics in science and healthcare. I'm Miranda Zeri, a recently graduated Bachelors of Science student that is so excited about the future post-pandemic, but also wary about the new issues that we are going to face as a society. Throughout this season, I will be speaking with my classmates from McMaster University and some doctors to cover a wide range of interesting and timely topics. I really enjoyed speaking about the COVID-19 vaccines last season, but I hope you're all as excited as me to hear about some different news in science and from some different voices that are going to help shape the future of science and healthcare. Hello, everyone. In today's episode of I Don't Know Much, we are going to be discussing the presence of gender bias in healthcare, specifically through the lens of the medical practice of surgery. And so I'm here today with my good friend, Kristen Gulielman. Kristen, thank you so much for being here. Please introduce yourself for the audience. Hi, Miranda. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Kristen Gleelman, and I recently graduated from the Biology and Pharmacology Co-op program at McMaster, and will be beginning my master's degree in biomedical discovery and commercialization this fall. So I'm interested in drug development clinical trials, as well as biases in Canadian healthcare systems, and I'm looking forward to discussing gender biases within surgery specifically, and how this issue has been fueling surgical backlogs, especially now during the pandemic. Yeah, I think gender biases in healthcare is a really broad topic. And so I'm happy we can kind of focus the lens into this specific area to really get into the details of what's going on and potential solutions. So you actually came to me with the idea for this podcast episode. Um, So tell me more about what kind of led us to the conversation we're having today. Yeah, so I know you you recorded a lot of episodes about COVID-19. I thought this was a cool topic that kind of relates to the pandemic, but also kind of leads you into the healthcare system. Um, so I came across the CTV news article uh, titled Gender Bias Against Female Surgeons, Fueling Surgical Backlogs by Solarina Ho. Um, and this essentially highlights um, the gender biases within surgical medical practice and how it's been fueling high level of surgical backlogs in Ontario. Yeah. And so I believe this article came out um, at the end of March in 2021. So pretty recent um, and just accounts for all of the surgical backlogs that have been happening probably since the beginning of this pandemic. So last year, I also had a chance to read the article and it's supporting documentation. And so let's kind of discuss what this article tells us about the issue of gender bias in surgical medical practice. Yeah, so the author interviewed several surgeons who practice in Ontario, where some discussed real life experiences of being discouraged to enter the field of surgery to begin with. Um, And it was explained that if you did decide to enter, you're encouraged to pursue an area that is less financially rewarding. 
Yeah. And I like this article as well, because it speaks to actual females that are recounting their experiences of gender bias as they're going through their medical career. And one recounts that she was told she couldn't go into cardiac surgery by a higher up because she was female and was going to want to have children. So these are real things that are happening. And to be able to hear it from the women themselves is really nice. Yeah, so these biases begin in medical school and they continue throughout the surgeon's career. Um, And it's interesting because women make up more than half of most medical schools, but they don't show up to that degree in all specialties. And part of this is because they're being swayed one way or another throughout medical school based on the biases that they will want to have children and they'll have to take time off. Yeah, and something else that the article also mentions is that Being a woman, you get encouraged to enter fields that value relationships, while men get encouraged to enter fields that value procedures. And then these two fields are valued very differently monetarily when you could argue that they're both very, very important. Um, And so having those different biases being ingrained as soon as you enter medical school, and you can see that based on the fields that they go into. Yeah, exactly. And in many cases, when they do enter the same monetarily valued field, um, female surgeons or female practitioners in general are still paid less. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And so all of this information about the pay gap between women and males um, within surgery that's mentioned in this article is supported by another study. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, so this study is led by Dr. Dasa who is a general surgery resident with U of T and a PhD candidate at U of T's Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation. So they investigated whether male and female surgeons have similar earnings for equal time spent operating, and they also assessed potential drivers of earning disparities. Yeah, so I was so shocked. I didn't know, I didn't realize that studies really investigated this hardcore stuff and to be seeing it done by female surgeons is pretty incredible. And so it's titled Sex-Based Disparities in the Hourly Earnings of Surgeons in the Fee-for-Service System in Ontario, Canada. So it's looking specifically at Ontario. And it was published in the journal JAMA Surgery in 2019. And so the study, what they did was they examined the operative procedures performed in Ontario from January of 2014 to December of 2016. So almost three years looking at all of the operations. So um, what were some of the most interesting findings from this study? One of the most interesting findings were that female surgeons are paid 24% less per hour of operating time compared to their male counterparts. In addition, female patients made up a greater proportion of patients treated by female surgeons versus male surgeons. Yeah, and so they also noted that, like we were alluding to before, the specialties of surgery between the sexes were typically general surgery and orthopedic surgery for male surgeons and gynecology and general surgery among female surgeons. So we can see that they're differently weighed out within the different surgical practices. Yeah, exactly. And as Also, as hourly earnings increase based on surgery complication level, the proportion of female surgeons performing the procedure decreased. So females are actually getting less complicated surgeries. Yes, exactly. Wow. And then all of this information is actually, is like accounted for 
after adjusting for the surgical specialty. So regardless of the surgical specialty in the same specialty, women are still getting paid less per hour um, than male surgeons. And they're earning more specifically per hour than females in gynecology, general surgery, otolaryngology, ophthalmology, orthopedic surgery, and cardiothoracic surgery. So it's across a wide field of specialties. Women are just being paid less. Exactly. Um, So that was the study that basically fueled um, all the information of the gender bias that this CTV news article discussed. So how do these kind of all this data from um, this study, what does this mean? How does this actually affect the women's surgical careers? Yeah, so for female surgeons, the gender biases affect the number and quality of referrals they receive. So female surgeons receive much a much lower quality of referrals, and the referrals that they do receive are less likely to lead to operations being needed or recommended. Um, this is what Dr. Barron, a surgeon in Australia, said, who actually left Ontario due to the inequalities in our system. So when female surgeons do take patients to the operating room, they're often referred to cases that are less profitable than male surgeons. Yeah, so they're actually getting referrals where patients sometimes don't even need the surgery compared to their male counterparts. So that that was really interesting to me. And the something the article also mentions is that patients kind of also contribute to this because there's some consensus among patients that they would prefer a male surgeon. And even cases where patients refuse a surgeon after an initial consult because they've realized that the surgeon is a woman. And there's even cases that the article describes where patients assume that the male medical trainees, so not the actual surgeon, but the trainees are the primary doctors rather than the female surgeons that are actually leading them. And that can happen sometimes even after the woman has performed the surgery. So they just assume it's the male. So there's also kind of a patient bias that's occurring in some cases. Right, right. And this is especially interesting because research has shown that female surgeons are just as capable as their male counterparts. And one study even suggested that patients treated by female surgeons actually had a small but a statistically significant decrease in 30-day mortality. So what that means is after 30 days of the surgery, females had a lower, female surgeons had a lower patient mortality rate. So fewer patients died 30 days after surgery when it was a female surgeon compared to when it was a male surgeon. So, yeah, so I don't really understand. Like, so it's just kind of these systemic issues of where these biases are coming from, which is really interesting and so important to talk about. But the study also mentions that there's a ton of barriers to putting out research that actually showcases these findings about gender biases. So Dr. Nancy Baxter, another author of the gender bias study, is a colorectal surgeon at St. Michael's Hospital and a professor of surgery at U of T. And she mentions that someone always has some reason as to why the study is wrong and that the research on these topics are much harder to publish and actually come under greater scrutiny during peer review compared to other studies. So the system is actually discouraging to learning about the biases that go on in the system. Yeah, so this goes to show that we need like fundamental change within the system. So more studies can be published and um, this knowledge can be brought to light. 
Um, in addition, it's also really important to mention that it's not just sexism in healthcare, these biases are occurring within practitioners of color, the LGBTQ community, and new graduates. So it's a product of systemic and structural problems that are pervasive across any a number of industries. And it's a reflection of a wider societal prejudice issue. And this is something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, completely. And um, I think that that brings up a really good point, just that this article is very male, female, gender looking at, but there is so much, it's, there's, it's widespread across any other gender that's not male. And um according to race and your level of practice. So that's also, that's also a really crucial part of this is that it's not just happening with females, it's, it's widespread. Um, And so you kind of alluded to it in the, your introduction. And so the result of these referral biases, like how, what are these biases, what are these biases fueling? Yeah. So this may not be the main contributor to these, um, to the surgical backlogs um, that are, that are present across the province, but they are they are contributing to some degree, um, and these can be avoided. And as we know, many elective procedures have been postponed across Canada during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Yeah, and apparently the article notes that there's plenty of empty and short waiting lists of surgeons in Canada, both to see patients and operate, but that the healthcare system is pretty disorganized and inequitable, that there's no way of really transferring between surgeons who have short wait lists and those who don't. Um, And so that results in a large number of mostly female surgeons as well as other minorities Um, with short to non-existent waiting lists for OR time and their skills are just not being used because of these biases. Yeah, exactly. And this is in part due to the healthcare system as referring doctors are not able to know what the wait times are for individual doctors before referring them to a patient. Yeah, so like the surgeon, the doctors, when they're referring patients to surgeons, they don't know how long the surgeon's wait list is. There's no way to know that. So they just refer them to these specialists, but these specialists could have really long wait lists while other ones do not. And so they don't know that, but it kind of just causes these really insane surgical backlogs for patients because they're just forgetting, because of referral viruses, they're getting referred to just a few doctors. So, yeah. It's also important to remember that patients who are people of color, recent immigrants, non-native speakers, patients with the lowest socioeconomic status do have higher wait times and less access, which is another major issue that needs to be addressed as well. Yep, totally. It's it's super important that the biases are not just happening with surgeons. It's also, also occurring with patients. And so that's also a really important point to bring up. And So as you said, like, we're not entirely sure if this is what's fueling these really large backlogs. And so some are not convinced that there's enough information to say that more gender equity would improve the backlogs um, and that there needs to be a clear picture on where the gender gaps in referrals are at the highest. But we do know that issues would be fixed if we could address the problem of knowing what surgeons had a long wait time. And so people knowing or physicians knowing not to refer to the surgeon who has like a two-year waiting list compared to one that doesn't. Um, And so that kind of uh, leads us to the solutions that are presented in the article. What what are those like? Yeah, so firstly, it's important to address the systemic injustices that are going on here. So the Ontario Medical Association has pushed recommendations that include 
greater representation of female physicians in medical leadership positions, um, working towards greater pay equity across specialties, and advocating for standard parental leave regardless of gender. So that the idea of having children becomes less of a career limiting step for women. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. Um, and also providing this environment where there's transparency around the kind of patients surgeons are being referred to and how much that they are making. So having that clear line of communication is also really important. In terms of like healthcare system, because that's an issue that has to be kind of ingrained um, from the get-go of medical profession, medical school and everything, but in terms of like healthcare system, like these short-term fixes, like how, how can this be addressed? Yeah, so system-wise, another study was highlighted and the idea, the idea of the new system would be a, one, a one-stop shop for booking surgery. So it doesn't matter who the physician is in the first place. And this would likely need to be implemented soon when COVID-19 is over due to the high levels of backlogs that are a result of this pandemic. Yeah, I think that's super important. I think that the healthcare system is, like it said, kind of disorganized. And so having this one-stop shop system-wise, I think is really important. And so if anyone's interested, the title that of that study is Confronting the COVID-19 Surgery Crisis, Time for Transformational Change. And so we know that this is a really good time for this stuff to occur because of the high levels of surgical backlogs. And we're in this point of we need, we need change to occur, especially because of the pandemic. And so um, that's also a really interesting article. Highly recommend you check it out. But so tell us more about what this system is. Yeah, so this is a team-based, single-entry model approach um, that could help address the problem in an efficient, fair, and ethical manner. So um, what this means is that the single-entry model addresses the wait time problem by creating a single queue that directs each patient to the next available provider based on their um, priority in the queue. Team-based care further extension of care coordination is implemented, whereby the surgical care of the patient is shared by a cooperative group of providers. An operation may not be performed by the first surgeon the patient meets, but by another member of the team who is equally skilled and familiar with the particulars of the case. Yeah, I think something like this would be so equitable. And um, currently, so currently in Canada, most surgeons work as these solo providers who accept consultation requests from referring physicians, and then they own the care of the patient throughout the entire episode of care. But this can be really inefficient and inequitable, and it creates these unnecessarily variable wait times because referring physicians don't know what surgeons have really long waiting lists. Um, And so something, the way that this article put it, I thought was really interesting. It said that this current model centers the care around the surgeon rather than the patient. So the patient has these really long wait times when they could be short. We're not focusing on them. We're really focusing on the surgeon um, with the current model. And so I think that this new kind of systems approach would be able to do that a bit better and focus more on the actual patient care throughout the process. Yeah, and I think it's important to have trust in the system and um, to understand that this is a fair way of coordinating Mm -hmm. surgeries. Um, And it's also important to note that sometimes you may think you found a, like, quote unquote, good surgeon, but it's, it's hard to actually find data on this and it's hard to actually, you know, kind of rank surgeons just on data that's available to us. Completely. And then you may be ranking surgeons 
based on like the most complicated surgeries that they performed when women female or other gendered surgeons aren't even able to have the same opportunity to perform those complicated surgeries. Um, and so it kind of just stems back to this root cause of these gender biases. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think something that the, like these models aren't new, these system-based single entry models, they, they've been widely embraced in healthcare before. They're actually preferred by some referring physicians and they emphasize how they reduce and harmonize wait times for specialist care and elective surgery. So we've seen these models be successful before. I think that's also really important. Um, but so just to play devil's advocate in this situation, there's always going to be people that come up with reasons why something shouldn't be implemented, why it wouldn't be good, how the profitable stay more profitable. But so one way that this kind of systems solution wouldn't work or that it could be opposed is that you may think that the patient kind of loses autonomy in being able to choose their care provider. So I learned a lot about patient autonomy as a principle of biomedical ethics. And it's one of these core principles that guide healthcare and healthcare decisions in this patient's ability to be able to be given all the information necessary and make a decision that they think is best for them. And so the article notes that by with this kind of new system, you're kind of taking away the ability of the patient to choose their care provider. Um, and be previously comfortable with them before the day of the surgery. And so they also mentioned that, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Autonomy is very important. But it's also important to note that surveys that have taken place um, that show that patients actually prefer a shorter wait time, even if it means seeing the next available provider. Um, and many are comfortable meeting their surgeon, on the f- surgeon for the first time on the day of surgery. So it seems that overall, patients prefer to have their surgery done sooner than have the ability to pick their surgeon. Yeah. And that makes a lot more sense to me. And I think personally, I would be really comfortable with this type of interaction and meeting. I have a lot of trust in the system to know that I'm meeting the right care provider for me on the day of my surgery. And that that's how it goes. But I think that's easy for me to say in passing, but I think that you're so right. I think, um, as patients, it's sooner rather than later is probably a high priority. Yeah, exactly. So these single entry models, team-based care are the most equitable mechanisms for ensuring that all surgeons, regardless of gender, years in practice, or existing referral network, have an opportunity to provide care and maintain their skills by allocating them equal access um, in the operating room. Completely. Yeah. So that really sums up the issue what's going on, what that issue is doing. So providing these surgical backlogs as a a potential contributor to that. And then the solution that would just be fair and equitable. And so I highly encourage you guys to read these articles. They're super interesting um, and they, they tell us a lot. And so this is just kind of one look at gender biases that are occurring in healthcare. Um, And so I'm so grateful that we're able to talk about that today. And I think as women in STEM, it's really important that we we talk about these issues, that these issues are just being mentioned um, and people are listening because I think that's that's step one in order to make actual change. Um, Kristen, um, thank you so much for being here. Do you have any last final thoughts before we conclude the episode? No, I completely agree. I hope you also take a look at these articles. 
Um, Miranda, thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. Um, if anyone is interested in pursuing pharmacology or biomedical discovery and commercialization, you can uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to chat. And again, thank you so much, Miranda. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for being here. Um, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Season two of I Don't Know Much, episode one. This is so amazing. So um, thank you everyone for listening. Stay safe, stay smart, and see you next time.